should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull****. It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to him is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Tuesday. December 15th. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Uh, I would like to say happy Hanukkah to the ones who celebrated. I believe that you uh, are just finishing up Hanukkah, right? Hanukkah's I think so. done the seventh night. Uh, anyway, happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays to everyone. It's Tuesday, so that means our good friend John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Hi, Michelle. Very excited to have you. Of course, following our producer is in studio. Before we start this, the, the show, John, I always like to check in with you about uh, very important news. And uh, there's a topic that's going around in the community that has a lot of people upset or at least, at least uh, you know, they have a position or, or an opinion about it. And the subject is Caitlyn Jenner. Again. Again. So for those who don't know Caitlyn, Caitlyn um, uh, is the uh, former partner of Kris Jenner, Kris Jenner being the matriarch of the Kardashian clan. And so they've got all, you know, those reality shows and all that stuff. But uh, Caitlyn Jenner would be best known for being an Olympic gold medalist um, and for her transition announcement this year, uh, which is, gosh, I mean, the media has gone so crazy over it, um, obsessed, really. And all these organizations are handing out awards to Caitlyn Jenner like it's... um, you know, a new flavor of some ice cream. <laughs> Do I sound bitter about it? A little bit, but uh, certainly those awards are acknowledging the fact that someone so famous is doing this. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, in an article for Time, uh, Caitlyn Jenner is, is uh, nominated or is made a Person of the Year 2015 in this in interview. Uh, she makes a comment about uh, basically, and I scrolled away from my quote here that I wanted to read, um, right here. Uh, here's a quote. I think it, it's much easier for a trans woman or a trans man who authentically kind of looks and plays the role. So what I, it, it's so what I call my presentation. I try to take that seriously. I think it puts people at ease. If you're out there and to be honest with you, if you look like a man in a, in a dress, it makes people uncomfortable. And so that quote right there is extremely controversial right now in our community. Um, your thoughts, Sean? Um, I, she seems to put her foot in her mouth a lot for someone who has put herself out there as a speaker on this. And I wonder if she might, we were chatting before the program, she might not, um, benefit from Hillary Clinton. When she ran for Senate, she did her listening to her, whether uh-huh. you believe she was actually listening or not. She shut her mouth long enough to let other people around her talk. Caitlin might want to do that. Exactly. My thoughts, my thoughts, I mean, Caitlin has to decide, you know, are you an activist or a reality TV star? 
Um, and to become an activist, there's so much that goes into it, which one is listening to people and education and actually doing the work and producing a reality show while it gives uh, trans the transgender community incredible visibility. Yeah, that's that's not necessarily uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that you then are excused from <laughs> making ignorant <laughs> comments. Well, and and it's visibility into the life of a rich white person. Um, for not everyone, even uh, in the LGBT audience listening to us, is going to understand exactly why this upset folks. So maybe could you explain that? Yeah, there are a lot of. Uh, there are a lot of things that we could say out here. And first of all, I, I mean, I really want to put it out there. Uh, you know, Fiona Dawson, who was our guest last week, said it best uh, for cisgender allies out there. You know, the best way to support uh, transgender people start with her number one advice, which was don't speak for transgender people. So I don't want to speak for all transgender people here. But my opinion in what um, Caitlyn Jenner had said you know, is offensive because it plays into the social construction of what a man and a woman is supposed to look like. So, you know, that in itself is very ignorant and it's discriminating because if this person doesn't look one way, then they don't fit into your box. Um, and, you know, not all transgender people can afford the $5,000, $10,000 Diane von Furstenberg dresses. Uh, doesn't They don't have, you know, personal makeup artists. They don't have Kim Kardashian to give you styling tips. That's a benefit, actually. <laughs> and so, you know, we have to, as, as people in this community, we really have to push forward um, with a progressive thought that we should we shouldn't play into the you know heteronormative um, or binary uh, rules uh, and and that makes it I think to me less discriminant for those who don't have access to those types of things. Now we should point out uh, Caitlin has uh, written an apology. She said that. Uh, Many people have pointed out some mistakes I've made. My first reaction was to feel hurt, to wish people would give me more credit for having a big heart and to know I wouldn't know I don't have a mean bone in my body. I guess I've come to understand that maybe I have made some mistakes. She goes on, what I was trying to say is that our world it really is, a, is still a binary one and that people who look, quote, visibly transgender, unquote, sometimes can struggle for acceptance and may be treated poorly by others. And while this may be true, it's also something that needs to change. What do you think of her? Do you think she addressed the issue? Uh, look, I once, you know, met somebody that uh, I, I didn't agree with in terms of our, our political affiliation, our ideologies and our background and all that stuff. Right. And I tried really hard to and I said it, you know, we'll keep talking. Maybe we could we could change some things, meet in the middle and, and and in the end, there were some core fundamental things that I could not change. What what did Senator Ted Cruz say? <laughs> My gut reaction is, you know, just that. I just think Caitlyn Jenner is, is very, you know, removed and very different than a lot of, of transgender people and the community and the LGBTQ community at that, you know, it, it, even politically, and I just think that she should she should not try to focus her show on being an activist. Like, <laughs> no activist, you know, is like let me let me become one on television. Uh, it, it 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 you know, there's a lot to fight for, and if she doesn't understand the issues at hand, I, like I, I truly believe, like what you said, she should just listen. She should 
and decide for herself. Because if she doesn't want to be an activist and she just wants to sit pretty and drink tea, um, that's fine too. You know, like, there's some transgender people who, who do that. There are women who do that, who aren't politically active, who are not fighting for people's lives. Doesn't make you a bad person. Anyway, let's move on with the program. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. It's the holidays, so you know what that means. It means you're spending probably a little bit more money if you're you know, celebrating in that way. Um, also, there are a lot of parties and there's you know, things going on, and so you're spending money. Um, how does that, you know, apply when you're a member of the LGBTQI community? I, you know, there's an article on a blog, um, that I thought was interesting and, uh, it's titled, are your gay friends making you poor? <laughs> I, I didn't, I, you know, I, we're talking about the holidays, but I had thought about this, this, this thought after marriage equality was announced and I was invited to like five weddings in a row. And I was like, I'm going to be broke by the end of the year. Anyway, uh, you know, let's uh, invite the author of this blog to the program, David Ray. David, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so are, you, are your gay friends <laughs> making you poor? I want to ask John that question just bluntly. <laughs> I mean, you do notice, notice that sometimes people, you just kind of realize they've got a lot more money and no, I don't think I can afford to go to Asia on that tr- two-week trip that you're going on. <laughs> David, what was the, uh, the inspiration behind this blog? Well, I just thought it would be an interesting topic to cover because I think in the gay community, especially on the male side, at least my experience has been that I'm, I'm hanging out with some billionaires and I'm hanging out with some people that are probably working retail for minimum wage. And, you know, I would I would guess that some of my people who work retail are dressed better or spend more money on their clothes than my, my billionaire friends. So I think lifestyle inflation and just some of the, the pressures people feel, I know you were talking Caitlyn Jenner, again, the pressure some people in the trans community might start to feel if they need to keep up with Caitlyn, uh, keep up with the Kardashians, specifically next Jenner, <laughs> they're going to have some trouble. <laughs> so, you know, I... I I find a lot of people really are trying to keep up with their friends. Uh, the straight community has, you know, the typical keep up with the Joneses. I think the gay community is just as bad whether you're trying to be the, the fittest person at Equinox Gym or the best dressed in the fashionista crowd or you're just trying, like I said, take that trip to Asia with, you know, the fine resorts, fine dining. And it may even be just trying to go out to dinner with your friends. You know, someone else picks the restaurant and by the time you add a few cocktails and you spend a few hundred dollars, which, you know, can go a long way to... You're running up your credit card bill. Okay, so you've got these friends. What's a good way of both keeping the friendship going and the social interaction, but not uh, ending up in the pauper house? I think one great way to do it is, you know, just don't be afraid to say no. If someone, just because your friend invites you on that vacation, and goes, ha, 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 we're flying first class or private, <laughs> and here's your bill. Uh, if you can't afford that, you know, maybe suggest, I'll meet you there, or you know, book your own room, or, or even sometimes some of my friends will double up on a room, which can cut the cost in half. You don't necessarily need to have your, your own personal suite. Also, sometimes be a little bit more proactive. If you're talking about friends going out to dinner, maybe suggest another restaurant, or if you schedule it, pick somewhere that is a little easier to split the bill or pay for yourself separately from just a split tab or uh, perhaps go to a restaurant where alcohol isn't as uh, prevalent or as part of a large part of the evening, because that's really quite where the bills get run up, at least in my experience. You know, the meal may be 20 or 30 bucks, but you add $50 to 
for our two or three cocktails, <laughs> at least here in L.A., uh, it doesn't doesn't go too far. Your money doesn't go very far with your drinking. So. I, I might, you know, throw in a question out here that will sound ignorant, <laughs> you know, but the whole um, the whole money thing in the lesbian community, I, I don't know, maybe because we're women and uh, I don't really know. I mean, we've just never really had that discussion about overspending. It's always been this whole thing of being mindful of, of you know, uh, maybe maybe women or lesbians are are more vocal about making sure that we go to a restaurant or a bar or something where the drinks are not as expensive. What are your thoughts? I think either the, the women in general, and I shouldn't speak for women, but just across the board are a little bit more likely to be financially savvy, I guess is my, my way, or they're aware of what they know and they don't know, and I do think that the lesbian community has some challenges that they face that the gay male community maybe doesn't. Things like, you know, women live longer. I think the lesbian community uh, statistically earns a little bit less than men. A women earn less than men. I don't, I'm not saying it's right. It's just unfortunate. You put two women together in a relationship, you have two women probably earning less than, than the male. I don't think it's right. I'm just, just repeating, you know, right. what's going on. None of us think it's right. Damn it. Okay, just so we're clear, I don't want to pull a, a Caitlin. Um, but <laughs> not to go back to that again. But realistically, I think, you know, there it's... Some of the pressures that, that the males feel, I think, from I've been relieved in the in the female community. I, I think there's just a different reality of, of travel and fun and, and activities. At least from what I've seen from my lesbian friends and clients, it's less of an issue about the you know I'm fabulous first first class dining, first class travel. That, that's definitely there in the community, but they do seem to to be a little bit more um, cost effective on their on many of their meals and things at least where you choose to meet and where they choose to hang out. So that, that can help things. I think as a community that we do have some challenges, I think a lot of, as just a group, we don't have some of the triggers that would help uh, traditional, we got married, have a baby, or, you know, okay, we're married, go get, go get a financial plan or buy life insurance or save for retirement. We don't have a lot of those triggers or we haven't had those triggers in the community, gay, straight, lesbian, transgender, whatever, wherever you fit into the group. We haven't had a lot of those things. Now that people are getting married, you know, whether they've been together 20 or 30 years, they're starting to think about these things a lot more. I'm getting, you know, a couple came in, they've been married for 20 years, like, oh, we, we just got married. We should think about a financial plan now. I mean, they've been together 20 years. Yeah, they probably should have thought about it, I don't know, 20 years ago. But <laughs> they finally had the trigger of, we have this piece of paper that says we're married. We should think about it. And I think the press is starting to cover a little bit more financial planning for the LGBT community and, and financial topics specifically for the LGBT community. I mean, we all work, we all do things, but we never really have thought about the money the way we probably should, which means you ignore it and maybe you don't save money for retirement. Or, you know, I know a lot of my gay male friends here would not like me to spill their secrets, but, uh, you know, oh, I've earned it, I've got it in my bank account, I can spend it, where, you know, they're not thinking about the long term or trying to save up for a you know, emergency fund or retirement account or anything like that. It would certainly seem like a part of that is, is kind of, I mean, there's the financial planning aspect, and then there's just the social, not being afraid of staying home when your friends are going out for dinner or whatever. Um, you know, I mean, do, do you ever, is that, does that ever work your way into uh, your advice to them? It does definitely, you know, I have a lot of friends. I'm like, I have friends over here. It's much cheaper for me to go buy four or five bottles of wine at the market mm -hmm. and just pay for all the wine. <laughs> we can have a great time in my house. Uh, and I'll send them on their way to the bars afterwards. 
I'm happily married. I'm very happy on my couch once it's, you know, 10 o'clock. I'm ready to go to bed. And I'll send my, my more single friends and more adventurous friends out to the bars and they can go do what they need to do. But I've had a nice, you know, some snacks here, some wine, or everyone brings a bottle and it can save a ton of money. You know, I know it's not always as fun to stay in, but it can be a great way to make things a little more efficient. It is hard to say no, especially when, you know, your whole group of friends may be taking that amazing vacation and where are you going to be when they're on that vacation sitting at home staring at their Facebook and all the great pictures. It's not fun, but it's probably not uh, not worse than having that, you know, thousands of dollars on your credit card bill pushing you further behind from your various other financial goals or meeting you. You know, you can't say yes the next time. I mean, I've definitely met people where they're, they didn't want to think about their credit card debt until their credit cards were maxed out. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, they had to start thinking about paying down some of their credit card debt because they couldn't use their credit cards anymore. Right, right. <laughs> you just, David, you we're, we're, be in that David, we're going to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, we'll continue with this discussion on if your gay friends are, are, are <laughs> making you broke. Uh, we'll touch on some taxes as well, so don't go away. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Man. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday, December 15th. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. And uh, December 15th means you've got two weeks left of this year to wrap up unfinished business and, of course, you know, whatever impacts your wallet as well. Our guest today on the phone is David Ray, who's a financial planner um, and wrote this interesting article uh, titled, Are Your Gay Friends Making You Poor? Um, when I came out, you know, several years ago, <laughs> back in like 2000, I mean, every article was about, you know, selling the gay uh, market, which was worth like at that time, I don't know, 
eight billion dollars or something. The market, uh, the market, the buying power. I'm, uh, that's what I'm referring to. And then now in 2015, um, you know, some of the arguments about that, that that buying power was the fact that gay men had tons of disposable income. They don't have children. They can't get married. You know, they frolic uh, <laughs> to the islands of like whatever and spend ten tons of money drinking. Well. In 2015, we have marriage equality. Uh, there are LGBTQI people uh, legally, uh, you know, getting married and having kids and buying houses and thinking thinking about these things. David, you know, it kind of give us a snapshot about um, how gay money may have changed now that we have marriage equality. Absolutely. I wrote a similar article for The Advocate, which is our game better with money, kind of playing the, the other devil's advocate side of this. We do have, uh, especially those of us who don't have kids, we're, you know, we are most likely more likely to have a two good incomes between two people working. We don't have the children to spend quite a bit of money on. I do joke with my, my coworkers who have multiple kids and stay-at-home uh, spouses that, you know, if we earn the same amount of money, I have a lot more money to spend. <laughs> you know, I can, I'll have a lot more disposable income if I'm not supporting, you know, five people. So we have changed a lot. I think marriage equality is meaning that people... One, actually take some of the legal steps to get married. They're able to take advantage of a lot of different deductions and different advantages that married couples do have in the tax system. There are things like the marriage penalty that you may have heard of that basically means you know, two people earning money are going to pay more taxes than one, you know, two individuals earning taxes, which you know, is one thing. It's what it is. But it means that people are thinking about their finances and thinking about their futures together. And I think it's really more about thinking about your future I have, again, I've been working as a financial planner for 13, 14 years in the LGBT community. And some of my couples have been together 20, 30 years, and they've never talked about money until they got married. You know, you imagine, I mean, I personally can't imagine living together with someone, trying to buy a house, or you know, being together for 20 years, and we've never really talked about, oh, do you want to retire? Or where do you want to retire? Do you want to, what do you want to do for finances? What do you make? All these things that I take for granted, and I think many other couples would take for granted if they had gotten married 20 years ago, we're finally having some of these conversations on a more regular basis in the community. No matter what, I mean, even without marriage equality, there were couples that had everything merged and were doing everything, everything right to reach their various financial goals. But as a whole, Americans are behind on retirement. I think the LGBT community is not uh, immune to those problems of ignoring your money, ignoring retirement, ignoring emergency funds, ignoring all that fun, fun, fun stuff like tax planning <laughs> and estate planning, which no one really likes to do, let's just be honest. <laughs> well, as we head toward the end of the year, is there any specifically year-end tax stuff that people should either be doing now or preparing to do? Absolutely. There's a bunch of things people should be doing, and I have a, a column up on the Huffington Post, Tax Works to the Wise for the LGBT Couples. But I think, you know, really, if you are if you're, have a great year, if you've earned a lot of money or, you know, earned more money in the past, you may want to look at paying some bills a little early you know, pay that mortgage a little early. I know personally I'm going to pay my property tax bill that's due in February this year to get one extra payment as a larger deduction. Um, it's a good time to maybe make some charitable deductions. I know most charities uh, have their record record fundraising in the last, I don't know, week to two weeks of the year. So, you know, this is a time to be generous and give, give some money away. And if you're self-employed or independent contractor or have some 1099 income, really make sure that it's open to some type of like SEP IRA perhaps. You don't have to put the money in right before year end, but the accounts have to be opened during the calendar year if you want to uh, be able to take a deduction in. So 
for that. If you're self-employed, you maybe open a step IRA, talk to your financial person or your accountant, and you can fund it when you do your taxes. So you go, oh, crap, I made a ton of money. I don't want to write a big check to Uncle Sam. You can put some money in your step and lower your tax bill. Some other things it's nice to do, um, you know, max out your retirement accounts, you know, like your Roth IRA, regular IRA, but you do have until you do your taxes for the traditional IRA and the Roth IRA to, to fund it for this current year. So there's a bunch of little things you should be doing. Um, you just don't want to miss the, the calendar deadlines because once, once New Year's is rung in, you've, you've missed the, the deadline and the IRS doesn't care <laughs> why you didn't do it. So we want to make sure you get all that stuff taken care of and, and keep as much money that you've earned as possible. Sure. You mentioned uh, LGBT couples in particular oftentimes have not you know, had certain discussions and done certain planning that, that might be more common in, among straight couples. Do you find that uh, your LGBT clients are as knowledgeable about what they could or should be doing, you know, what uh, tax options, savings options, and other things are available to them? Or do you think some of them kind of have been avoiding this more so than heterosexual couples or heterosexual individuals even? We, I think a lot of times they, they think, oh, we've been, you know, we've been going to the same tax. We've been together. I have a lot of couples who are married very short term. They got married into the last year or two since you know, marriage equality came to all 50 states. But they've been together. So, like, oh, no, we've got this down. You know, we've been doing it this way for 20 years. Well, now that you're legally married, it's a completely different ballgame. Things that you may have done and worked two years ago don't work for you anymore. Or there's some things that were not available previously will be available for you. So it is important to review everything. You don't want to get shocked. I know your first year is marriage, whether you got married on December 31st or January 1st, you're married for the entire year, and you may owe a lot more in taxes. You, you, know, you may have had you know, your taxes taken out of your paycheck based on your, your individual income, but now that you're married, you may be in a, a higher or lower tax bracket. You know, if you have a lower earning spouse, you may owe less taxes. If you have a higher earning spouse, you may earn more or owe more. So it's things that you don't want to be surprised. My worst nightmare for myself or a client would be to get to April 15th and go, oh my God, I owe so much money to the IRS and be surprised. You know, usually, you know, you may know I had an amazing year and I'm probably going to owe something, but you don't want to be like, oh no, it's exactly like last year. And all of a sudden you're at the last minute going crap and you, <laughs> and you really don't have any options to fix it. Right. Proactive and you look at it, I mean, not there's a ton of time left in the year, but you know, if you go, oh my gosh, this is uh, really a big deal, let's take care of it. I know for a lot of couples, they, they do think about this stuff, they just haven't put it together. And most people, they have a, a maybe a beginner's knowledge, but there, there's a lot of fine tweaking that can go, especially if you start to make some higher income brackets or if you're a, new, a newly married couple. Because there's, things are just different. You know, you sure. may have spent a lot of time learning about it in the past, but things change with, with the marriage equality. It's a great thing, yay! <laughs> right. Well, one of the things that I know, I one of the things I know, I have, have frankly not paid attention to in the past because I didn't think it was going to come into a play. Now it, of course, can. Is the marriage penalty? What exactly do people mean when they talk about that? So basically, it just means that you're probably if if you took two gay men, let's just say, for example, I'm a gay man or two lesbians or or anyone in the non-married couple, and they're living together, they're doing everything they're going to have their tax bill based on just themselves. So there's different deductions that you can take. There's different deductions you may not uh, be allowed to do, depending on your, your income and situation. Once you're married, there's different tax brackets for married couples. So you're going to hit, they're lower for two people married than they would be if you, know, if you stack the two together as two individuals. So you're going to pay a little bit more taxes as a married couple. 
But there's some different deductions and some different things you may be able to do uh, as a married couple that you wouldn't do as an individual. For example, if you had a stay-at-home spouse or if someone was at school or just, you know, not working, it may actually bring down the taxes because instead of just paying no taxes on no income for the spouse that's home or not really bringing a lot of income in, the higher-earning spouse may actually owe less. But I'm, I'm going to guess it's a bigger issue for the, the people that are, are getting hit with the penalty and have two decent incomes that all of a sudden become high high incomes for taxes. Because it doesn't take too much to really hit some of the higher tax brackets. You start making, you know, 80 to 100 grand between the two of you that, that you start to get in some pretty high tax brackets, which for I think a good amount of your listeners here probably isn't too hard to hit with two, two incomes. So your recommendation is that people do not get married. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I would never make that final decision. I just think people should be aware of it. I did have a case where I had a couple that wanted to get married on December 31st, and I advised them actually it would cost them about $50,000 in taxes. I was like, why don't you have your wedding on December 31st and file your forms the next week and be married in 2016? Wow, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to tell people to not get married uh, over the financial stuff outside of some very, very specific crazy situations. You know, if you're spouse is going to jail or getting sued or has liability, we might, we might want to take a breather on that or think about it. I think people should talk about their finances before they get married, but I don't think you ultimately want to make the decision uh, based on your tax bill. I, I would be, I would behoove you to, you know, find out if your, if your fiance has, you know, $100,000 in credit card debt, you might want to rethink uh, getting married, but that's, that's my financial opinion. But if we're just talking a few thousand dollars in taxes, I want my clients to know about it, and I think people should be aware of the changes. But I don't think I've never had anyone that, in a normal situation, just because of the marriage penalty, that was going to avoid it. They may put it off a little bit, or they may rethink it, uh, some of the timing. But you know, if you're in love and you want to get married, go go get married. I mean, that's. that's I, I, I love that. Happen. Once again, true love reigns. True love reigns. <laughs> just be aware of, uh, you know. Financial strength and financial stress can cause, cause trouble for any marriage. It, it's one of the, the main things people fight about. So if you can avoid uh, causing that stress, it's probably going to make your marriage a little bit happier and, and smoother. But all the same, you're still going to be married or not, whether whether I tell you to. <laughs> David, <laughs> thank not. you thank you so much for joining us here this morning and uh, giving My us pleasure. the lowdown on end-of-the-year tips, especially for the LGBTQI community. Uh, thanks so much. Awesome. You have a great day. David Ray, everyone, he's a financial planner for Trilogy Financial Services, so you can look it up and uh, and contact him if you have any questions. Don't go away when we come back. A really cool art project or a, uh, a book of photography that you will you might want to get your hands on or at least support. So don't go away. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for 
almost 20 years, and uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now, because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody, and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, the ethics of Oasis, is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need to, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity and, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for Spotlight you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday, December 15th. Only two weeks left of 2015. <laughs> John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is with us. And uh, you're excited about the end of 2015? Sure. Oh, it's a great time of the year. <laughs> yeah happy holidays to you by the way happy geez, happy holidays to you yeah <laughs> bah humbug that's <laughs> that's what i should say um our next guest has a really cool project that i'm happy to hear has been funded uh, through kickstarter uh you know i i we just did an interview with Lillian Faderman, who uh, created you know, this or has this book out, um, which to me is probably the most comprehensive history book that I've seen in regards to the LGBTQI community. And uh, history is very, very important. And there's a lot of things that you can learn from it and, and in hopes that we don't repeat history. Uh, but one specific, uh, I should say, moment of the LGBTQI community that we'll never forget, of course, uh, is through the 80s, um, 80s. I should say, 80s. Uh, so, so you got that. 8-0. Sometimes, you know, as I say things that, uh, that people misinterpret. But, um, and that was because of the creation of an organization called ACT UP. So our next guest is Bill Baitsura, who's a photographer who's putting together this incredible project of photos of those who are part of ACT UP. Bill, welcome to the program. Bill, are you there? Yep. There you go. Sorry, we could not hear you. Um, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. First of all, congratulations on the Kickstarter program and uh, your project being 100% funded. This is so incredible. It was. It was very exciting. We actually went over to about 104%. Um, so I was very thrilled that day when we uh, hit the target and went over. It's great. We were very happy to finally finish this project. 
Give us some sense of the genesis of it. How did this all come out? I mean, this was a, a, a big, long-time project to take on. Right. Um, well, I'd lost my lover to AIDS in um, 1988. And after that, I sort of found my way into ACT UP. And since I was a photographer, I joined the media committee, and I would take pictures of demonstrations and you know whatever they could use them for, press or whatever. Um, but if you remember back, like, 85, 86, something that I found when I was doing some research for this project. Um, they were actually calling for like a quarantine of people with AIDS. And you're putting yourself back in the context of that time and, you know, the sort of fear that people had that, um, um, you know, this group ACT UP came out of that in 1987. So as I got to know people in the group, um, my thought was that people knew these people like I did. They're just people, normal. Uh, they would feel a lot different about them. So I started photographing uh, portraits of these people, of AIDS activists, mainly in ACT UP, and asked them to write a little story or something to go along with the photograph. And that's how it sort of started. That was in 19... I think I photographed the first person in 1988. And did, did you hope that the end result of this would be a book at some point? Or were you just thinking of maybe a, a gallery showing of this? Or how, how did you want this presented or when you first started pulling it together? Well, when I first started, it was really just, I just wanted to photograph people. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought wherever it would end up, I guess, you know, a book would be um, the, the thing to do. But when I first started, that really wasn't my intention. It was really just for me to say, I really need to, like, photograph these people and tell the story. Um, but I, after I started in New York, I had the opportunity to go to the conference in uh, Amsterdam, uh, and I photographed people from, like, all over Europe for that. And then at that point, you know, it was like it was getting, I was photographing more people, and I thought, this has to do a book. I would do um, exhibits of it, but then it sort of turned into substantial enough that I thought it could be a book. Um, you know, some of the photos I, I've seen that's been posted at the on the Kickstarter uh, website, um, it, was, it was like this period of time in which the government, in which doctors, I mean, any everyone uh, were silent about the age uh, AIDS, HIV um, epidemic. And so, you know, I, I think that the, the a point of the book is to capture that part of history that we shouldn't forget, but it's also hard to forget. What are your thoughts about that? Um, I mean, at the, at the time, there was a, a lot of indifference in it. I think it actually kind of went to a political side, too, that, um, you know, some people didn't want to do anything about it, uh, like Reagan and um, didn't mention it, like Ed Koch here in, in New York. Um, you know, there wasn't any action taken on it that was uh, positive. So um, it, it's sort of like, it, it's, it's hard to, I don't know, it's like telling a story of history, and I think it's important for people now to like understand that what you were just talking about uh, would have continued had this group not sort of sprung up and actually like sort of lit the fire and got mm-hmm. people talking about it in and, and whatever um, um, actions they took, you know, if they were um, controversial or something like that, it still got AIDS out there in the news and made people talk about it, made people react to it. I think if it wasn't for this group, AIDS activism, ACT UP, and what other groups that sprung up from that, we would be in a much different place right now. Do you have any thoughts about what makes some people in a crisis like that become an activist and decide, you know, they're going to literally act up? 
and, um, and what makes, you know, why, why some people will act up and why others will, you know, sit back and, and not do anything or just watch it. Do you, you know what differentiates between the activist and the non-activist? Um, I mean, it's probably personality, but uh, when, for me, it's, you know, I lost uh, uh, my lover to, to AIDS, and that sort of got me into it. And once you got in and you got in with a group of people, it was a lot easier mm -hmm. to join in uh, because you are with a, with a group. I mean, you're a coalition. Um, and I think some people feel like, um, you know, they don't need to do it. Somebody else is doing it. They're, they're, they're apathetic. But, um, I mean, also with this book, it's, you know, you get to see what, who the individual people are that uh, made up, act up, or... Uh, and you know everybody could be that. Yeah. Um, let me let me ask what I, I I mean it's a sad question, but I mean how many of the people you photographed over the years for this project are no longer with us that we lost to AIDS themselves? Um, offhand, I I couldn't say because I actually photographed a lot of people in uh, Europe, uh, Paris, mm -hmm. um, Berlin, and Amsterdam, and also in St. Louis, Miami, Puerto Rico, uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles. So. Um, as I go through it now, we'll sort of follow up and uh, get the history of what, you know, where people are now. But, um, I mean, there's Hal Hainer, Alden McCain, um, uh, other people, too, that I just can't name off the top of my head. But, yeah. um, you know, it's, and it's great that they're remembered um, and their words are remembered, um, hopefully in a way that pays tribute in a, in a worthy way. I mean, I was so moved by what people did in the, in the words and just like the, you know, how strong people were when they were faced with this disease and the fact that, you know, at that point there was no way to survive. Yeah. Bill, I wanted to bring this up. I mean, you know, Larry Kramer, uh, maybe the most well-known uh, person who's involved with ACT UP, um, and that's because, uh, you know, in recent um, media history, if you will, like HBO did a special on Larry Kramer. And so some younger people may know Larry Kramer and may not know, you know, uh, everyone else that you photographed. Uh, so I think that's really special about your book that you're putting together. Um, but there's this larger conversation of where the, you know, HIV is going here in the future. And uh, Larry Kramer has also been vocal about PrEP. Um, which I would think that, you know, this, that what this book will do is give young people a better understanding of, you know, the historical context of how HIV AIDS had impacted our community. What are your thoughts? Right. Um, I mean, that goes back to, you know, letting people know, uh, you know, we would not be here right now, um, if it wasn't for AIDS activism, um, as far as, uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. Talking about um, you know prep and all the other things that are out now that uh, you know um, lower the risk. Um, it's still there and it's still a fight, and it may not just be in our community, but it's around the world. So I think also when you go through the book, um, the the range of people that are included in it that were that were involved in AIDS activism, you know, covers the whole range of our community and every other you know community we have um, so for those particular um, things about me like medications and stuff like that I would just say this is you know these are the people that got us to where we are now mm -hmm. and it's it, it, it's good to know 
how we got here from there. Absolutely. Do you, do you see a difference between like modern, young, modern, you know, younger activists, the next generation of activists and those people that you're, you're documenting in this book? Yeah. I mean, back in the, yeah, this was, this started right when email was just coming out. And, um, I think sometimes people think liking and sharing things are enough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these were things where you went out in the in January when it was freezing and demonstrated, uh, and it's a lot easier now to like and share something. And I think maybe sometimes people feel that does something, and it does spread the word. But you still have to get your, you know, put your body on the line and actually get out there and be seen and be vocal. Plus, they're doing it now in an environment where it is much more accepted, whereas back in the '80s it was, you know, the Reagan years and. and right these people, many of them, you know, could have faced uh, employment discrimination. They could have right. faced violence. I mean, um, I, I, I do not mean to take anything away from folks today who are um, being activists in, in any way, but still, I, I think it, it's, there was a great deal of courage that was involved with coming out then, added on top of the, the, just the fear of the disease. Right. I mean, this was, I mean back then, you know, before... Um act up like even before, say before like 1990 there's still a lot of shame involved mm-hmm. you know like being gay wasn't that accepted um and then plus being gay with this disease that people were talking about quarantining people with was like you know you wanted to hide or or you know i mean it was scary it was a scary time and um i can remember marching with act up in one of the gay pride parades and at that point there were maybe 400 people marching with the act up contingent and people started applauding as we walked through the um, through the route. And I mean, that that was a feeling of like we're doing something. Mm-hmm. It was a great feeling. And I think not only with HIV and AIDS, but also with visibility and acceptance of you know gay lifestyle, and you know it's more accepted, like you said. That's also a part of uh, what AIDS activism did. It got you know, people out there and visible and, um, you know, gave other people strength to like, you know, come out and be right. part of it. So I, I think there's not only with the, um, AIDS activism, but I also think with, uh, acceptance of the lifestyle or, um, people, it was, you know, there were other aspects of it that it also helped. Right. Right. Bill, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll want to find out how, how or when we'll get the, uh, our hands on, on your beautiful book. So don't go away. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. 
The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marta Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us on the phone as our guest, Bill Baitsura, who has a cool uh, project that just got funded by Kickstarter. So thank you to all the funders for supporting this awesome project. And the project uh, is a book of photography or photos of those who were involved with ACT UP during the 80s. Um, Bill, so I mentioned, you know, I, I know that it just got funded, but uh, what's the timeline in, in terms of when we will be able to purchase a book? Well, now what we will start doing is edit it down. Um, I had this is the second Kickstarter I did. The first book was a lot more, a lot, um, a lot larger. Um, so this time we cut it down a little bit. So we're going to have about forty-five photographs. Um, we went over budget. Or we went over the goal. So if we can put some more pages in there, we will. Uh, but now we need to get the uh, prints done. These were shot on. This is before digital. It's all uh, negative. So they need to be printed, and um, that process started. So we're looking at probably September, October of 2016. Great. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, going to Puerto Rico and, and San Francisco and Paris and Berlin. Were there differences between the activists you found in those different areas? No, it was sort of like um, it was just a big community. The the, uh, the focus was the same for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in Puerto Rico it was a little less visible um act up at that point wasn't that uh it wasn't as uh organized or or uh like new york or paris it was a smaller group and uh they didn't have the huge demonstrations that we did in you know that did uh the um conferences or anything like that so they didn't have that um the opportunity to do that uh i mean Paris and New York. I mean, it, I, I, my assumption has always been New York was, you know, ground zero for ACT UP. Um, right. and, and it started there, right? But, I mean, did it always remain the biggest uh, concentration of, of activists in it? Or, you know, did some of these other cities uh, grow bigger? Well, ACT UP New York was always the biggest. And ACT UP mm-hmm. Paris got, um, became very big, too. And they had a, uh, uh, they had demonstrations over there. They covered the, um, uh, 
I forget what that's called, that ellipse. Um, uh, the, there's some big statue. It's, um, they covered it with a huge condom. Okay. So they were a very well-organized and funded uh, group. But uh, New York was always the biggest and uh, the most, uh, I think, watched. Yeah. Bill, thank you so much for joining us here, and uh, congratulations again on getting the thank project you so funded. Much. I appreciate that. We look forward to getting our hands on the book. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right, that brings uh, the program to somewhat of an end. John and I always like to wrap up the show. Um, there's all there's always you know things that you you kind of lightly toss out there, but you start reflecting. I think is what you do at the end of the year. Um, and so our topics today, you you know, people are always thinking about their money. Yes. Uh, one thing I didn't get to ask him though is. You know, there, 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 there are some stats out there that suggest that gay people are not uh, saving enough because we are so used to spending our disposable income. Um, that's going to have a pretty adverse effect on our, our financial life in the future. Well, and let me just push away all the barriers here. Um, I mean, the statistics on Americans in general, mm-hmm. um, you know, from particularly my generation, Generation X and, and younger, um, ha- are truly frightening in terms of savings. Mm, you know, mm. I mean, it, what is it? I, I don't remember the exact percentage, but it's like a huge percentage that has less than either like 10000 or $1,000 in actual savings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Social Security, you hope it's going to be there when you get older, but it might not. You know, it's it's truly scary. So, so as much as, as I think financial in discussions and things tend to scare people, I mean, it is it's either the number one or number two reason for divorces you know, just the tension and the misunderstandings and, and stuff like that. Um, it's stuff that really people do need to get on top of because it's it's literally their future. I'm just going to die young. Nope, don't. <laughs> you're you're going to be such an awesome 80-year-old someday. Uh, you know what? I think so. Yes, you'll be doing your, well, it'll be like a, a you know, mind-transferred radio program, you know, from your <laughs> space station. And all your fans are just going to want to hear you every day. Um, the, here's the thing. And, and, uh, I think we're going to include some of the interviews from LGBT seniors. I mean, when you look at LGBT seniors today and the issues that they face, I mean, um, health, uh, a place to stay, a place to live. Uh, Some of them are being placed in nursing homes that, you know, are not LGBTQI friendly or don't know how to take care of LGBTQI, uh, you know, seniors, um, their their lives are impacted in a pretty negative way. And so if we don't do anything about it right now, we don't look to plan in the future. We, and, yeah. Yeah. And also uh, there are still lots of folks who do not have any family support. Exactly. Or, or insufficient family support. Right. You know, whether it's kids or, or just, you know, other family members who maybe kick them out. You exactly. Know? So they don't have any of that to fall back on. So really it, it is really just their support system that they've built up themselves. Um, I think, you know, now until the end of the year, I mean, we'll play some replays. We'll, but uh, what I would like to do is play some interviews from LGBT seniors um, to give you some insight on their lives and how they're living today in hopes that you'll support them um, and, uh, and think about your own future. Um, the other thing I will say, I mean, besides the LGBTQI community not saving, I mean, even in San Francisco, when you're willing to spend over 50% of your gross monthly income on rent, 
<laughs> I mean, I don't know if you're thinking about the quality of your life and or your future. I mean, you know, your money is your money, but I'm just saying that's that's kind of where young 20 something year olds making six figures at a tech company are doing. You're spending you're, it's just the thing to do. Because that's the market rate to live in this wonderful city called San Francisco. And and I've got a friend who was kind of part of the first dot com boom. In fact, she wants she tells a story of getting a job where she was earning a quarter of a million dollars. This was late nineteen nineties, so that was a lot of money back wow. then. I know. Yeah. Quarter of a million dollars with a really awesome title and they never really even told her what to do. She basically went through their website all the time looking for mistakes. Okay. <laughs> and was laid off. Now she was a smarter person. She had bought a property. She had, had also inherited a property for her father. Um, and she did not, for example, leverage her stock options and stuff like that. That then when the, the inevitable collapse came, you know, just totally sank her. She's actually doing just fine. Mm. Um, but a lot of those people who just didn't even would forget about thinking 40, mm -hmm. 50, 60 years in the future, they weren't thinking five years in the future yeah. when maybe the social media investment's not there right. or when, San Francisco finally builds a whole ton of new housing like it should. Right. Um, and so they don't get the housing appreciation they were expecting from that $2 million one bedroom apartment with, you know, condo or something. It's, it, it, it's always in other words, applicable. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on this program. We'll be back tomorrow at the same time, four o'clock Pacific standard time. I want to really thank you during the holiday. Of course, as I reflect, um, you know, all your supports, those who tune in and who, really enjoy the program the show um so thank you we'll, we'll see you tomorrow